welcome to episode 34 of the Swamp Flicks podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm Brittany Lombas. We are recording in Brittany's new apartment, <laughs> Uptown New Orleans. Woo, sitting on the floor, you know, just like living that sort of life. It's fantastic. <laughs> Hanging out with a puppy. With a puppy. This, of course, is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp Flicks. Brittany, yes. it's been a month since we talked on the microphone. It really has. What have you been watching? <laughs> so... Uh, I'm gonna start off with what I like recently watched last night. I just watched like the first like 20 minutes of Nerve, which I know is a movie that you're totally into. Um, and I see why it's very stupid, but stupid in a smart way where like I couldn't stop watching it. The only reason I didn't finish it is because it was like three in the morning and I was dead tired. (laughs) Um, but it was, it was super funny. I was like pissing my pants, like laughing for the first, like, you know, like the whole time I was watching it. Just the stupid idea of doing dares and getting paid for it, but I could totally see that happening. I could watch a bunch of thrillers about killer smartphone apps. I don't think I would ever get tired of it. (laughs) But it was it was entertaining for the most part. Um, What's his face? Franco. It's it's James Franco's Franco's brother. brother. I never remember his name. And I I didn't want to say like, oh, James Franco's brother, because that's like probably all that guy is known as at this point. Yeah. Is it Jonathan Franco? They're going to be in that um, that movie based on the disaster artist where he plays Greg Sestero and James Franco plays uh, Tommy Wiseau. Jesus Christ, I can see that. But he was like surprisingly good, but he was like cheesy, but like you could tell he was acting as an idiot purposely. Like he wasn't just an idiot trying to be like, you know, a legit awesome character. D- Dave Franco. Dave Franco. Apologies. <laughs> I really like how it's like a aggressively like girly thriller. Right, like she goes and it's like, oh, get that sequin dress, get yeah. that like mermaid dress, and and she's just the whole time she's just like, oh, like I'm so nerdy and blah 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 blah, and like of course you're not, you're yeah. fucking, you know, Emma Roberts, and uh, Dave so Franco weird. plays like a um like heartthrob character, right? You're supposed to like kind of gawk at how pretty he is, and, and like, I did not, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was just like, what a lame bike. <laughs> What a lame guy. But it was good. So um, I plan on watching the second half of it. So maybe by the next podcast, I'll have the second half of Nerve done. But what I did watch and I really, really liked is Riding in Cars with Boys. I don't know that one. Starring Drew Barrymore. It's one of those movies where it's like my mom always is like, oh, this is a great movie. Like Home Fries. And I'm like, I don't want to trust my mom's judgment when it comes to movies. (laughs) So I just constantly avoided it. But it was so good. Um... It's a movie based on an autobiography, Riding in Cars with Boys. So it's a true story about this woman who sort of, you know, grew up. She got pregnant at 15. She had these dreams about being, you know, she wanted to be a writer. She wanted to go to college. And she gets pregnant at 15 years old. And she has to tell her parents. And she ends up marrying the guy that got her pregnant. And she totally didn't want to. And then she ends up, like, living with him. And she's studying and trying to, like you know, get this scholarship to go to college and he's like addicted to heroin at the same time. And then she eventually like just becomes a single mother and writes this book about it, which is she eventually accomplishes her dream of being a writer. So but... she writes the book that the movie's based on within the movie? Yeah. Uh, like wow. the movie starts off in the eighties and it's Drew Barrymore with her son and he's like all grown up and then it flashes back to the sixties when she got pregnant with him. Mm. So it's like you're kind of going back and forth. In the beginning of the movie, in the, you know, it's like 86, I think. She's um, in a car with her son, and they're going to find his father, who he's been, like, estranged from, because she needs him to sign over his rights for her book so she could, you know, mention him. And that's the last piece of the puzzle before she could go ahead and publish this thing. So it's, just, it's really, really important. 
But interestingly enough, this was directed by Penny Marshall. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? Talking about some female directors. Um, I didn't even know she directed films. My favorite Penny Marshall content is that one scene in Hocus Pocus where she plays her brother's wife. Where they have that commercial with the baby. Yeah. And, like, the stroller is like... Da, 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 da. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Kathy and Johnny's, like, freaking Take out. Take your Mars bars <laughs> and your Snickers and get out just, of my Just Gary Marshall playing Satan and uh, having, like, a shrewish wife yell at him the whole time. It's very, very Hilarious. funny. Yeah. Yeah, but this movie was super good. It's like... I like movies where, you know, we're not sold on the main character. Like, you don't really like her that much. She's not an amazing person especially like mother wise there's a lot of stuff that she does that you're kind of like you probably shouldn't do that you're a mom but at the same time you have to remember she was 15 when she had this kid she didn't really plan on having this kid her whole life got pretty much shit on because she was trying to like live up to her parents standards and you know keep them happy so she marries someone she didn't want to marry so it's just kind of nice like the only thing i didn't really like too too much about it was that it seems like the film and i'd never read the book So I don't know if it's different in the book or anything like that, but it seems to be like they were trying to focus it around this mother-son relationship between Drew Barrymore's character, who is Beverly, and her son, but the main focus really isn't on the relationship between the two. Like I had assumed it would be from seeing it in the beginning. That's what they're trying to sell you. Because it starts off with a a mother and son going on this like car trip journey. And the movie really didn't show the bond between the two as much. But it was really good. I love, 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 love Drew Barrymore. I think she's awesome. She was so good in this movie. And Brittany Murphy's actually in this movie. Uh, I love Brittany Murphy. She plays her best friend who also gets pregnant at like 15. (laughs) She announces it at um, her wedding. So, like, you know, they're having this, like, somber wedding because you know that she doesn't really want to get married to this asshole who's played by Steve Zahn. Oh, no. <laughs> it's very So this is, like, 2000s. Uh... Yeah, 2001. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, um, Brittany Murphy makes, like, an announcement where she's like, oh, I'm pregnant, too. And they're like, oh, and she's, like, crying. And, you know, Drew Barrymore's character is like, oh, this is so great. Our kids are going to be best friends. And they're going to be just like us. And the whole time, like, she's just like, fuck, no. Like, just crying. <laughs> But it was it was a really really good movie. Um, I liked it. I watched it twice. It's on Hulu. Okay. So catch it before it leaves because it's fantastic. One other movie that I watched that I want to mention real quickly is Dirty Grandpa. I know James <laughs> talked about it in the last podcast. Yeah. And I thought it was Bad Grandpa, and I'm right. like, oh. And he's like, no 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 no, it's not. No, it's totally different. And it is. Yeah, those titles are very confused. There's so many like nasty grandpa movies. <laughs> I know that I'm probably not supposed to think that Zac Efron is an awesome actor, but I think he's an awesome actor. He's really good at it. Like, every movie that I've seen him in, he's been really fucking good. Like, other than, I mean, High School Musical is, like, kind of, like, what he was known for, and it's like, oh, how stupid and how cheesy, but, like, you know, 13 again, or was it 17 again? I don't know. Something again. 17 again sounds right. No, 13, going on 30, is it Jennifer Garner? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Never mind, never mind. 17 again was really good, and this, like, kind of reminded me of that, where, you know, he really does show off, like, his acting skills, where he seems like he makes a joke out of himself, which I think is really fun. Yeah. Like, he knows that he's, like, People see him as like this, like heartthrob, this and that, and he's he like knows kind of a hottie. Stupid. He's got a gym body, and he's like right. pretty much half naked through a lot of the movie. But he's always the butt of the joke. Totally, like, it's like he makes fun of the fact that he is that person, right. which I think is awesome. That whole movie, and just uh, Robert De Niro, what the fuck? What a dedicated performance uh, <laughs> for like. <laughs> Did not expect him to ever play in a movie like that. Like I thought, Meet the Fockers was a little <laughs> intense for him. Yeah, and then this was just like. 
filthy. Uh, he, he masturbates. Yes. Completely in the nude. Yes. Um, he also... <laughs> With a grandpa face. Which is raps? <laughs> I think he like raps to Today Was a Good Day. It's been a while since I've seen it. I think it's absolutely absurd that all three of us, all three hosts of the show, were positive on Dirty Grandpa. It was so good. The whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, and the jokes they're making... They're, like, racist, sexist, and I'm like, God, I should fucking hate this. Yeah. But it is so funny that you just don't give a shit. <laughs> How do you feel about the gay character and the two women that are um, kind of, like, their foils? Like, uh, basically, De Niro's trying to have sex with Aubrey Plaza, and her, like, best friends are this, like, one is kind of, like, a love interest for Zac Efron, and the other is this, like, kind of gay character Played yeah. by that guy, Boyer Chapman, who's on um, Unreal. He's a really cool I've actor. I've never seen him before in anything. You would love Unreal. It's really great. I'm a- it's like a behind-the-scenes drama on, like, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Ooh. It's really fun. I think I've heard of it. It's on Hulu, I believe. Yeah, yeah okay. we watched it on yeah. Hulu. But I thought it was kind of cool to have that, like, counterbalance to all the bro humor in the movie. Like, the movie, like you said, has, like, kind of a homophobic tinge to it. Yeah. But then you have this, like, other sect of people that, like, contrast them a little bit and show, like, yeah, they're gross. And that's kind of why it's funny is that they're such, like, awful, gross people. It's like they're all making fun of themselves. Yeah. Aubrey Plaza's character is very, very interesting. I think I called her feral on the last episode. Like, she's absolutely, like, inhuman in this movie. Just out of control. Yeah, I love it. It was super, super funny. The comments that she makes... About, like, wanting to screw Robert De Niro's character <laughs> is just stupid, stupid, stupid funny. I want to see that movie where she plays a dirty nun uh, that's coming out right now. It's called The Little Hours. Oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, it I don't looks know if really I can funny. even handle that, <laughs> but I'll probably see it. Yeah, it's the same, like, sex-crazed, like, inhuman character, except she's dressed like a nun the whole time. But she plays it so well, because she, she's so good at just being, like, this emotionless, like, blank, in-your-face sort of person. Yeah. And, but I, I did like Dirty Grandpa a lot. I loved it. And it's also in Hulu, which is why I watched all these movies, because they were all on Hulu. We're all terrible people for liking that movie, I'm pretty sure. But. I know. Like, I'm like, I should fucking hate it. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm texting people. I'm like, have you all seen Dirty Grandpa yet? It's real funny. You should watch it. So, yeah. But that's pretty much all the new stuff that I've watched that okay. I've been into. Nice. So what about you? What you been doing? What you been uh, watching? So much. So have you heard of Okja? That's on Netflix, and yeah. it looks like the never-ending story a little bit. It's like a um, kind of a babe-type story uh, with this giant pig okay. that has the face of, like, Falcor from okay. uh, Never-Ending Story. Okay. It's directed by Bong Joon-ho, who did Snowpiercer, which was a oh. like, movie of the year 2014. Like, we all love that That's movie. That's awesome. This one is just as, like, out of control. Like, the plot changes speed every, like... 10 minutes to be this like new weird thing where you never like really get a handle on it but it is so fun it is one of the weirdest movies i've seen all year it's kind of a shame it went straight to netflix because i'd love to have seen it on the big screen was it a netflix original yeah they bought it in uh, other markets and like south korea it's actually playing on the big screen nice but in america most theaters won't play it because this exclusive thing where you have to go to the cinema to see it. If it premieres on Netflix at the same time, they won't screen it. People would probably still see it. Like, I would still see it. Yeah, like, I would totally see Seeing any movie on, on the big screen is such a different experience than watching it, like, on your home television and on your computer and everything like that. So this is like a satire of the meat industry. Jesus. Tilda Swinton and Jake Gyllenhaal play these, like, evil faces of a corporation that, like, wants everyone to think that they're, like, cutesy... They're trying to convince people that they're not using GMO uh, food and that they're, like, a corporation with a heart, you know? And they're obviously evil from the no get-go. Yeah. And the two of them are, like, these inhuman cartoons. Like, they're so over the top. Wasn't she in... Yeah, she was in Snowpiercer as well. Yeah, it's the same kind of character as she is oh. in Snowpiercer where she's... Just, like, in that one, it was kind of a Margaret Thatcher joke. 
In this one, it's like another like cartoonish caricature of a human being. Gotcha. So in order to save the world from like overpopulation and like dwindling meat supply, they artificially breed this super pig is what they call it. And it's this giant uh, elephant sized pig. And that's the thing that kind of looks like Falcor. This little girl raises one of them in South Korea and basically raises it as her best friend for like 10 years. And then the corporation comes to pick the pig up. Oh. Basically going to sell it for meat. Oh my god. Um, oh my god. And the little girl goes on this like cross-continent trip to save Okja, which is the name of the pig, from being killed. This is very sad. It looks and feels like a kid's movie, but every other line is an F-bomb. And really? there's all this violence and just like... The stuff at slaughterhouses is like beyond horrifically cruel to animals. It's kind of like an anti-meat industry satire... But at the same time, it makes fun of, like, Animal Liberation Front people and, like, makes them look just as ridiculous. And, like, the heart of the story is just this, like, little girl's quest to bring this pig home to its natural habitat. Uh, and there's, like, almost no other good guys in the film but besides this little girl and her pig. They're like, against the world. Yeah. It's really nice. It's honestly more like Babe 2, Pig in the City, than it is, like, Babe. Because it's this, like, cross-continent, like, adventure between... More, like, adult themes. Yeah, it's very too. scary. Like, I would still if I had a child, I would still watch that. Yeah, this one's, like, a hard R. Wow. Yeah. Really? It's kind of like Babe 2 and, like, Death to Smoochie at the same time. Ooh. You know how that movie just feels, like, off? Yeah. In, like, a weird way you can't pinpoint? Mm-hmm. It's got the same kind of, like, cruel, crass way of going about things. I highly recommend it. It's one of the weirder movies I've seen all year. No, I have it on my um, watch list. Yeah. Now that I have, like, this bomb-ass internet connection, I can actually watch stuff on Netflix and Hulu, so... I also went to the theater to see The Beguiled, which is Sofia Coppola's new movie. Yeah. It's kind of like a mix of the best parts of Virgin Suicides and the best parts of Marie Antoinette. It's set during the Civil War in America (laughs) um, on this plantation in Virginia. Even though it's all filmed in Louisiana, it looks like Louisiana. The moss hanging from the trees and, like, stuff in the plantations, it's like, oh, that's unmistakably the state. So these, like, boarding school for girls finds Colin Farrell's uh, soldier, he's like a Yankee soldier, in the woods. So he's kind of like on enemy territory and injured and can't walk around on his own. And this girl's school takes him in sort of secretively and hides him away until he can get better. And then they're going to turn him over. While he's in the house, he's trying to like negotiate a way he can stay forever and does so by pitting them all against each other. Like he sort of manipulates each girl to think that he is in love with them and then sort of sparks these like jealousies between them. And the more he does that, the more he like creates this powder keg of a situation and then the last like 30 40 minutes of the movie are super violent and it takes this like really Sweet. fucked up turn i don't like it quite as much as virgin suicides and marie antoinette but it's really good god i remember virgin suicides my aunt called my mom and was like you should really let Brittany watch this movie i think it would really help her <laughs> like you know she's like a young girl i think i was like not even 10 and then i watched that and i was like what the fuck you could die from putting your head in the oven <laughs> <laughs> You know how, like, boredom is dangerous in that movie? Like, the girls are all gloomy and secluded, and, like, the more bored they get, the more it feels like something bad's gonna happen. The Beguiled has that same energy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Um, And it's got the beautiful costumes and, like, sort of modern anachronisms. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Um, It's a remake of a 70s movie that I have never seen, so I need to catch up with that. Interesting. Of the same name? Mm Mm-hmm. I think Clint Eastwood plays Colin... Farrell's oh character. Oh. In this one, it's so funny because Colin Farrell's body is, like, on display in this, like, really ridiculous way. Like, uh, the women in the house include Elle Fanning, who's in The Neon Demon. She's Love her awesome. so much. And The Witch. I mean, this girl's fucking No, she's not in The Witch. The, the girl you're thinking of is in Split. God, she's a newcomer. I can't remember mm, Never mind. Oh, yeah. I saw Split for the first time, too. 
<laughs> okay, we're going to come back to that in a second. Okay, you don't have to. <laughs> you really don't have to. Her name is Anya Taylor-Joy. Okay. The girl from Split and the Witch. So this one has Elle Fanning, Kirsten Dunst, and Nicole Kidman are like the three main women in the house. Nice. And then they have like these three little girls that live with them as well. So they're all staring down Colin Farrell because they're like super horny pretty much. And there's like all this like steam coming off of the swamp. Uh, it's sort of like matching like how like oh hot and bothered and bored they are. But you're just like, that probably smells so bad right now. There's this one uh, <laughs> ridiculous scene where Colin Farrell's unconscious and Nicole Kidman gives him a sponge bath. And the camera keeps, like, focusing on, like, his hip or, like, his chest hair. Uh, it's really ridiculous. Oh, Jesus. Um, and then, like I said, the more they stare at him, the, the less it looks like lust, and the more it looks like they're about to, like, eat him alive. And they don't literally do that, but, like, some violent stuff does go down in the last act, and it's really great. Another movie I saw that was, like, female-centric was this movie The Women from 1939. Oh. Have you seen that before? No. Didn't they do, like, a remake of it in the 90s or the 2000s or something? There was a 1950s remake oh. that was a musical called The Opposite Sex, but I'm not <sighs> sure if they remade it again. The Women. This one is from the 30s. It's uh, Norma Shearer is, like, this uh, rich man's wife. So she hangs out in this salon with all these other, like, wealthy women who have all this, like, idle time. Her best friend is this gossip, played by Rosalind Russell, who was in His Girl Friday. And then also Joan Crawford plays Ooh. a mistress to of course she does. Uh, Norma Shearer's husband. So basically, Norma Shearer discovers early on in the movie that her husband's been cheating on her with this counter girl at the perfume counter, played by Joan Crawford. Ooh, perfume counter, scandal. And she decides to keep it quiet. And just allow him to be with this new woman so she can keep the house and the wealth and like raise her kid without breaking up the family. Gotcha. It turns out this whole wealthy circle of women are like super candid about that. They just allow for extramarital affairs and they go through these like series of divorces and they have their own affairs sometimes. And they don't really, like, care about the uh, romance at all. It's all about, like, positions of power. And they, like, trade power through gossip. Oh like, gossip is this kind of, like, this, like, currency in their, like, social circle. And it's, like, this sort of, like, subtle form of war that they all wage on each other where they're like the men are like these territories that they take over the fascinating thing about the movie is that not a single man is in the film really it's a cast entirely of women it's like hundreds and hundreds of women you just kind of like hear stories of the men yeah they don't actually make a physical appearance right someone will talk to a man on the phone or there will be an argument between a wife and a husband but you don't hear the argument you hear someone gossiping about it after the fact it's written by three women it was written by like a playwright who heard like a conversation in like a nightclub powder room and uh she just like overheard some gossip and was like oh i'm gonna write a movie about gossip and gossip of the nightclub powder room yeah exactly jesus and then fantastic. there's two uh female screenwriters who, who like adapted that play for the screen joan crawford's like really fun to watch in this movie is like kind of this like evil mistress and this is like early on when she had this like giant sharp eyebrows and like the huge shoulder pads like this is at the beginning of that era of her but Rosalind Russell steals the whole movie it's kind of like this like drag routine kind of thing (laughs) where like her outfits just get more and more extravagant as the movie goes on and she has these like reads on people where she just like completely insults them to their face I wonder if Joan Crawford was like mad jealous of her because (laughs) it seems like what she is in a lot of movies yeah it's not like the main thing yeah she kind of like stole Joan Crawford's thunder in this movie yeah it's really interesting and you know how in the red shoes they have that like 20 minute ballet sequence that's like kind of separate from the whole story yeah uh in this one there's like a 10 minute fashion show that is completely narrative free 
And the whole movie's in black and white, except for the fashion show, which is, like, this uh, technicolor fantasy that, like, interrupts it. Oh, So all of a sudden, you get these, like, bright, rich colors, and it's just these beautiful, like, fashion designs on these, like, artificial sets with these, like, huge cartoon backdrops and stuff. Nice. The movie is just so great. I had never heard of it before. Cece brought it home from the library, and it just, like, blew my mind. What year is it from? 1939. It's amazing. Yeah, all these, like... time period. It has these, like, open, frank discussions of, like, divorce and adultery, and uh, there's, like hints of lesbianism uh in a couple of the women and like oh, wow it's really just like mind-blowing and to have like a, a cast ahead of its time without any female without any males in it it's really crazy and uh the remake from the 50s looks like it's not like that at all like the remake has men in it it has like uh more of a focus on romance and not like power plays which is interesting i don't know i really i really enjoyed it and i do want to squeeze in one more movie before we wrap up uh i just got back from the britannia I saw Alfred Hitchcock's To Catch a Thief for the first time Sweet. on the big screen, also in Technicolor. So it had these like beautiful shots of uh, France, like seaside France. Oh, I love uh, that. So the water's gorgeous, and like there's these flower markets with like all this like lush color. Um, there's a scene with fireworks that's really great. Um, in the movie, Cary Grant plays this like ex-cat burglar that's sort of retired since the war and is trying to like make good. And someone starts copycatting his old crimes, and they start stealing jewels in the exact way that he did. So he has to catch the thief Aww. himself. Also, uh, Grace Kelly plays this like young American woman who is trying to woo Cary Grant's thief. Even like, though she's like a rich lady who doesn't need to be involved in the life of crime, she's just kind of like fascinated by him and like falls in love with him. Ooh. And she wants to just like find like this adventurous life with him of like running away from the cops and evading. Like we all do. Jeez. And so that's the other half of the title is like he's trying to catch a thief and she's trying to catch a thief like romantically. Right. The romantic thief catching as it's, opposed to the criminal thief catching. It's a ridiculously fun movie. The jokes are constant. It's like Hitchcock sex humor. There's all these, like, boobs <laughs> jokes and, like, jokes about Grace Kelly losing her virginity and, like, kind of, like, juvenile types of sex humor, but done, like, really wittily. Really well-made movie. Um, kind of blew my mind to go watch it at Britannia. I remember seeing it a few times as, like, one of their, like, you know, old movie specials, and I just never, like, got out there to see it. I honestly have a whole bunch of Hitchcock movies I've never caught up with. And every time I do, I'm usually impressed. So I don't know what's my problem. I just think, like, those are the kind of movies where... Obviously, they're going to be good. But you just like, you have to be in this like particular mindset, and this particular mood to like thoroughly enjoy it. I don't know. I just feel like I don't want to spoil them, if yeah. that makes sense. So it's like, I have to be like doing really well. Every, you know, my house is clean. You know, I have no shit to do. I'm ready. Like, it has to, I have to be so focused. It's kind of nice to have the luxury of like waiting for them to be on the big screen, too. Right. Uh, Britannia has a old movie series where they play them, I think, 10 a.m. Sundays and 10 a.m. Wednesdays. They play one movie a week. And it's just really nice to go to the oldest single screen theater in New Orleans and watch, you know, this like classic Classic, Hollywood movie projected in like nice digital restoration. And Renee, who's like the owner there, Uh comes out and he like offered us all like complimentary coffee and cake after the screening. Jeez. I need to go. Yeah, it's really adorable. I think I'm going to start going on a weekly basis. So I'm going to see more of these movies. But yeah, it's probably not a like revelation to say that this 50s Hitchcock film is like exceptional, but. Even though the few I've watched recently, I was, like, enamored with this in a way I haven't been in a while. So that's a whole bunch for me. I kind of want to backtrack a second. You finally saw Split? I did. The M. Night Shyamalan movie? Yes. I love it. It's in my Um, top ten for the year so far. 
Oh, cool. Yeah. For some reason, I thought it was like 2016. No. Gotta be on my list. <laughs> Spoiler. You really enjoyed it? I loved it. Well, honestly, like, as far as, like, favorite actress and favorite actor list goes, like, I would have to say, like, favorite actress-wise, fucking, like, Tony Collette. I've never seen something she's ever been in that has been horrible. Like, she is so fucking good. And James McAvoy would be, like, my favorite actor, I think. I, he's just magnificent. Like, he gives his, like, life to his craft, and it's yeah. awesome. And he was so, so, so good in this movie. To- so fun to watch. So fun to watch. When he, like channeled that 10 year old boy terrifying yeah terrifying when you have this like you know full ass grown bald guy that you know is gonna kill you and then he like flips a switch and starts talking like a child talking about his window and all the kanye west songs and that that character both has the best kiss and the best dance scene of the year so far in my opinion (laughs) it was really good and like legitimately terrifying i think because like what's scarier than being in a place that you don't you don't know where you are. You know, you're underground. There's no escape. You try to escape. There's someone that you can't, like, pinpoint exactly, like, when they're going to switch to a different personality or not. You have to just kind of, like, work with it. And, you know, the main chick, which girl? Yeah, Anya Taylor-Joy. Anya Taylor-Joy. Very, very smart. Her character was very, very, very smart for, like, being a teenage girl in, like, the worst situation ever. Her patience in that movie is, like, really admirable. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna get out of here, but we can't just, like, freak out up front. We have to, like, wait until we have an opportunity and and an angle to work at. And, like, the, the awesome, like, camera shots, like, where... In the beginning where the guy's, like, taking one of her friends and she's just like, piss on yourself, piss on yourself. That really surprised so me. Like, I've never really thought of M. Night Shyamalan as, like, a craftsman, you know? Like, you usually think of his old movies in terms of the twist and the story and stuff right. like that. But I never really thought of, like, how great his visual work is until I saw this movie in the theater. Right. And I think it's because I've never seen a movie of his, like, on the big screen until The Visit a couple years ago. Well, the only movie I've seen on the big screen, well, other than that, I did see The Happening, um, which I liked, but when Lady in the Water came out, I saw the movie in the theater at least five times. Really? I, it's one of my favorite movies. It's so great. We're gonna have to do a Shyamalan episode so we I can should. catch up on all this Lady stuff. Lady in the Water is, it's beautiful. Like, it's not, like, a horror movie. It's just kind of like a, you know, a fairy tale for adults, kind of like Stardust. I love Stardust. Yeah, it kind of, it didn't remind me of Stardust, but it had that same sort of, like, vibe, which I love. I yeah. like that he seems like he's having fun again. Like, he's mm-hmm. making these, like, small, super trashy genre films. Right. But doing it with such, like, a slick visual style. I don't know. I was super impressed with Split. I liked it a lot, yeah. yeah. And people have been, like, very cautious to praise it because it is, like, very trashy and does not take its, like, multiple personality disorder, uh, DID, seriously, which it probably should. But like, I think it's been, like, a fun B-picture. Multiple personality disorder, like, I think, like, a handful of people have ever had it. Like, it's yeah. people don't get diagnosed with it at all like we think they do. It's a controversial it's a thing diagnosis, right, for sure. Right, exactly. So, and I don't think the movie... I don't think it was making fun of it anyway. I thought it was sort of just kind of, like, tapping into, like, how you really... If you, you do have it, you're not in control. Yeah. You know, and that's that's the thing. Like, it's not something funny. It's not something stupid. Like, this guy's, like, literally lost control of his body, of his mind, to his illness. And yeah. it sucks. Especially, like, whenever, like, the, the true him comes out and he's like, oh, fucking kill me. I think the movie also, like, does a thing to separate it, too, where it's, like, saying that that's not exactly what he has. He's diagnosed right. as having DID, and then later in the movie they're like... <laughs> Actually, something much weirder is going on here. Right. Yeah, I loved it. I'm, I'm kind of glad to hear that, too. Yeah, no, yeah, I did like it, so yeah. So, we've gone on much longer with this, like, intro than we usually do, but it's mostly because today 
we're only talking about two movies. Yes. So we had like a longer time to like watch other stuff uh, in right. the past month for right. sure. Definitely. So one thing we are going to talk about is pretty much the film of the summer. Like if you think about like summertime blockbusters and like where that comes from, it basically right. started with this movie. Right. And that is Steven Spielberg's Jaws, Jaws. from 1975. <laughs> And we found a way to watch it that is not a conventional (laughs) way to watch Jaws. So that'll be a fun conversation. I'll never be the same again. And before we do that, we'll get to a regular Movie the Minute segment. And all that's coming up to you right Right now. now. What about my addiction to failure in the form of married men? Your addiction to failure stems from your, 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 your failure to commit. And your failure to commit stems, of course, from your, your what? Your, your lack of trust. I'm a little confused. You listen to me, Stella. I am your psychiatrist. You have got to commit to this affair once and for all, or you are doomed to fail. And if you fail at this affair, you're going to end up a lonely old spinster. And now it's time for our Movie the Minute segment. This is where hosts of the show bounce back and forth recommending films to each other. This time it was Brittany's turn to make me watch something. Yes. What do we watch? So it's pretty difficult for us to even find like movies that we both haven't seen. So I love this movie and I really do have this weird theme of like 80s rom-coms going on (laughs) just with my taste. (laughs) But I made Brandon watch The Butcher's Wife. Which is a super, super bizarre fantasy, romantic, sort of drama comedy starring Demi Moore, where she is a clairvoyant named Marina. And beginning of the film, you know, she's like on this like beach, I believe in like South Carolina or something. And she's got this thick Southern accent. She's like, I'm just waiting for my sign for true love. (laughs) And then this like overweight New York butcher just washes up on the shore. And then she's like, yep, there is my true love. And this is the man I'm going to marry. So she marries this guy, moves to New York with him. And he's like this butcher in this small New York neighborhood. And she goes there with her, you know, clairvoyant powers. And she kind of adds a magical touch to the lives of all the people in the small neighborhood while she finds out a little more about herself as well. So Brandon, how you feeling about The Butcher's <laughs> Wife? <laughs> it reminded me of the first movie I made you watch on this show, which was The Ramen Girl. Yes. Uh, uh, so it's like a magical yeah, realism. food. Magic I didn't even food. think of the food connection. I was just thinking like magical realism rom-com. You know how in The Ramen Girl, when she first tries ramen for the first time, this like magical wind blows through the shop? And she's right. like, this is what I want to do with my life. So Demi Moore lives in this like, feels like it's an island separate from reality. She lives in this kind of like romance novel island. And uh, when she first goes to New York and steps out of the butcher's cab, this like wind blows through the screen and like rustles the trees. And it's like, she's like this extension of nature that like is going to the big city, you know? Right, with the her, concrete like, jungle, here she comes. And you have like Demi Moore with her like long blonde hair, looks like a romance cover. And she's got that ridiculous- <laughs> like the female Fabio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. And she's got that thick Southern accent, which yeah. is like over the top. So that was the first thing that struck me about it. It was just that aspect of it. <laughs> I realize that. The other thing that really blew my mind about the movie is that it's like a pro-adultery rom-com. You don't want her to like her husband or be with him. Right. And it's not that he's a bad guy. No. He's, he's just, just wrong a very for her. sweet guy. Right. And that's like what the movie does is it pairs off people very early on and then shows you that they're wrong for each other and you're supposed to encourage them to cheat on each other and then find new mates. 
Which is a really interesting, like, rom-com premise for something from the early 90s. I just feel like early 90s and, like, adultery was fucking huge. Just, like, all these, like, you know, businessmen and... Sex lies and videotape. Yeah, totally. So maybe that's why that it kind of passed where people were like, oh, but really? (laughs) This (laughs) is what I want to do. I don't know. I'm not going to, like, say, like, oh, it's the the most forward-thinking rom-com I've ever seen. Like, most of the movie is... It's not. Yeah, most of the movie's pretty standard, like, rom-com fare. Right. But just those two aspects of it make it very strange. Uh-huh. Just the idea of, like, magic existing in this world. Before the butcher washes up on the shore, which before she decides to, like, leave for New York with him, right. uh, a snow globe washes up with, like, the city of New York in the snow globe, and she's like, this is where I need so to be. So many signs. Yeah. All these signs. Yeah. She, I just thought that, like, she was so good as a very wispy clairvoyant yeah. country girl which is like oh Demi Moore mm-hmm. you know like I just keep thinking of Lady and Striptease you know what do you mean but she's so fantastic at playing this character that it's oh, it's awesome <laughs> it's great yeah this is not G.I. Jane she's like not a G.I. lot more like <laughs> feminine and wispy and just very like authentic almost where like she just kind of says what she feels and she's supposed to be like a foil to somebody who is more like hard thinking, which would be Jeff Daniels' character. Uh-huh. And he plays this um, psychologist. Yeah, like a psychiatrist. Uh, he's like a big city boy who like reads philosophy and like believes in logic and right. things like that. So for him, he basically is this small community's like source of logic and helping them through all these problems. Right. And this like woman comes in out of nowhere and solves all of his patients' problems. By saying these, like, clairvoyant things, like, oh, you need to do this with your life, sort of offhandedly, and it mm-hmm. fixes all their problems, and it drives him nuts. And they're going to him, and they're like, he's like, who do you talk to? And it's like, Marine, the butcher's wife. The butcher's yeah. wife, like, you know, <laughs> like, everyone's going in, and they're all fine. He's probably going to be losing clients. Yeah, and then it becomes this obvious, like, opposites attract kind of thing, where right. they're destined to be together. And, and she didn't even know. Like, she knew that she was supposed to go to the city and meet the man of her dreams, but she didn't know that it was going to be him and not the butcher. Right. The interesting thing to me is that Jeff Daniels is not the catch in this movie to me. Like, the butcher is supposed to be this, like, unlovable schlub a little bit. Yeah. And I don't buy it for a second. You think he was a lovable schlub? Totally. Totally lovable <laughs> schlub. He was very nice and very good to her, where it's kind of like, I felt super bad for him. and almost, like, disliked her, where I'm like... Don't embarrass this guy and make an ass out of him. Yeah, he's super sweet. Yeah. And he owns this butcher shop. It's pretty successful. It's a beautiful space. For, like, New York City, it's, like, this really gorgeous, like, tiled shop with these, like, really old-fashioned, like, walk-in coolers and stuff. And business is booming. Like, there's always people in there. The red, like, red, he has regulars. And he's, yeah, it's, like, a big, um, like, landmark of this community. Yeah, one of his regulars is, like, soap opera star. And, like, these, like, drag queens come in sometimes. It's really interesting. And he also is a huge, like, blues aficionado. And he has all these original pressings of Bessie Smith records, which means that he spends his butcher money on, like, <laughs> something really expensive. That's and like Yeah, it's, like, really, like, good taste, honestly, for, like, a man who's supposed to be, like, a, a schlub. But, yeah, like we were saying earlier, it's not that they're not supposed to... It's not really that he's, like, a villain or anything. It's that he just ends up with the wrong person. And he ends up seeing Mary Streenberg, who I love. Oh. You know, she's on, like, The Last Man on Earth, and she was in uh, Step Brothers. Uh, and Clifford. And Clifford. <laughs> you know, all Clifford. those great things. <laughs> <laughs> he sees her in a nightclub, and she was this, like, dowdy 
church-going woman mm-hmm. until she met the butcher's wife, and then she decides to, like, inhabit Betsy Smith's body. Right, get a nice-ass dress. <laughs> and she sings And sing these, like, sultry out. blues songs. <laughs> right. The butcher falls in love with her immediately, sing- right. watching her sing So you don't feel song. as bad for him, where he's, like, he's losing Marina, but it's, like, at least you're getting your Betsy Smith that you always wanted. Yeah, and it's not That's like nice. he's, like, cheating on her. She, no. She knows that he's wrong for her eventually, and she says mm-hmm. stuff like, uh, I've got to find a wife for my husband, uh, so she can go <laughs> off and be with Jeff Daniels. <laughs> So I really like the dynamic there. There's a ton of adultery, but no, right. like, villains, really. It's just everyone got mismatched early in the right. film. Almost fate is the villain, not right. fate. Whatever fate. her, like, magic is that, like, her told them who is supposed to be. Her shitty clairvoyantism. Yeah. I will say I love the uh, tagline of the film is, it's not about meat, it's about magic. <laughs> it <laughs> Which really is a really weird. I know, it's weird, like, having, like, this film revolving around like a butcher shop like it's you know butcher shop it's kind of like bloody nasty meat what if it was like a coffee shop (laughs) or like a donut shop or something but like a butcher shop i think the butcher adds this sort of like nice working class counterpoint to jeff daniel's intellectual character it almost sounds like a title of like a horror film (laughs) the butcher's wife right Um, I do like that in the butcher shop, she, like, predicts customers' orders before they make them. And that's, like, what brings more business in, is that this woman can, like, sort of read your... She knows the meat! (laughs) Instead of, like, reading your tea leaves, she, like, looks at you up and down and, like, reads your meat order before you make it. She knows exactly, like, how many slices, how many pounds you need. Uh, Another thing I really enjoyed was (laughs) the rooftop scene where her and Jeff Daniels are sort of, like falling in love for the first time. Mm-hmm. It looks like that scene in Xanadu where they're in the recording studio and it's like super fake version of like a nighttime roof. Have to believe that it's magic. <laughs> Nothing can stand in that way. There's this like really artificial like <laughs> backdrop quality to it that I've found really like romantic and mm-hmm. cheesy in a good way. It's nice. And then like the little like the twinkly music in the background. like It's a nice light summer film. It's very sweet, and it's very nice, and it's not very intense. Yeah, I really like the uh, the early scenes of her on the beach in that, like, romance novel setting, and then the city has this, like, warm, almost do-the-right-thing quality where it's, like, too warm. And, you know, in reality, it's, like, it smells like piss and someone's getting shot in the corner, <laughs> but it's, like, oh, like, it's, like, the romantic New York. I, I will say Jeff Daniels is probably the only thing that didn't really, like, do anything for me in this movie. Mm-hmm. I was kind of getting Uncle Joey vibes from him. <laughs> <laughs> kind of dumb and dumber. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah, um, I don't really buy him as like a sexy person. No, yeah, he was a I think a poor choice for that character. I think like uh, Michael J. Fox or someone like that would have been a lot cooler. But I don't know. I mean, he's he it works, but. It could be better. It, it's interesting. It's like I care more about the butcher falling in love with Mary Streenberg than I do with Jeff Daniels and, <laughs> and Demi Moore getting together. Because he's not a likable guy. And he gets the magic pixie dream girl in the end, you know, whether or not he deserves it. Right. <laughs> Fuck. But yeah, I had a lot of fun watching it. Good. Glad you got to finally see The Butcher's Wife. It was on Netflix for a while, but I think they took it off. Yeah, I had to watch it on um, 2-Bitch TV, which has, gotcha. like, commercial breaks between it. Gotcha. But it was kind of like watching a TV movie, you know. I have it on um, VHS. Whenever our movie place I used to go to down the bayou and it closed down, I just, like, bought... It was, like, 10 for, like, $5 VHS tapes. And I went nuts with my, like, allowance money when I was, like, 16. So I had the butcher's wife <laughs> from there. I if, just watched it a bunch. If this were on cinema at the cinema, would that be a popcorn classic, you think? Oh, it would be a popcorn classic, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Sharks, Jesus. People talk about the movie Jaws. A lot of people take that movie the wrong way. A lot of people think 
that Roy Scheider was the hero of that movie because he killed the shark. That's wrong. The hero of that movie was the mayor of Amity because he said, F that shark. I'm not closing these beaches. We'll have it on summer. So, I listen to this podcast called Who Charted on a weekly basis. <laughs> One of the hosts of that show, his name is Howard Kramer. He's a stand-up comedian. He has a sort of recurring bit where anyone who comes on his show, if they mention a movie that it happens to be their favorite film, he plays a theme song called Jaws is Better. And then he, like, systematically proves that his favorite movie, Jaws, is better than whatever movie that person brought up. He also has a sort of, like, recurring theme in his comedy called Have a Summer. And he <laughs> encourages people to embrace the summer season as if it's, like, the mecca of the year where like all other seasons of the year don't matter at all. So he spends the entirety of his year looking forward to summer and he has like checkpoints where he's like checkpoint like Oscars and checkpoint like Turkey, which is Thanksgiving. It's all this road back to summertime. Nice. So right now he's in his element, his summertime element. Usually every 4th of July he watches Jaws because it is his favorite movie and it is his favorite season. And it's a 4th of July movie. Right. For sure. This year, he decided to do this thing called Jaws Real Time. He has decided that because Jaws takes place over an 11-day span from June 28th till July 8th, that he's going to watch the parts of Jaws on the day that they occurred in the movie. And we decided to do that along with him. Oops. Found a new way to watch Jaws. <laughs> Which is over an 11-day span. Right, I've never heard of anything like this before, but... <laughs> it's kind of a weird cool. thing to track. Like, on the podcast, they gave four different hashtags for the project. Like, sometimes he called it Jaws Real Time. Sometimes he called it Real Time Jaws. Uh, he spelled real two different ways. Like so, a fishing reel. <laughs> and like a movie reel. Uh, so if you're looking for real-time Jaws or Jaws real-time, it's really hard to find the correct hashtag on Twitter because people used all four of them. Gotcha. Um, but if you want to look around, people have been talking about it the last uh, week or two. Nice. What is your experience with Jaws like before this project started? Jaws was one of those TBS flicks. <laughs> so... I mean, growing up, we just had, like, basic cable, didn't really have, like, a lot of movies and stuff. So it was, like, whatever the hell TBS decided to play that week is mm -hmm. what I was watching. And most of the time, it was freaking Jaws. It was either the, the first or, like, the second or something like that. So, yeah, I just watched it a lot whenever I was younger. So it was interesting watching it again as an adult. Because, of course, it's, like, now that I'm older and I'm, like, I know, like, how vast the movie world is. It's, like, I'm not going to go back and rewatch something that I watched a buttload of times when I was younger. Yeah. Like, I get it. But, like, watching it this way, I think, was just, like, I saw it in a totally different you lens. Like, watch it in pieces and you see, like, different details. Right. Was it something you would watch all in a row on TV or just, like, something you would catch parts of? All in a row, okay. usually. It was just, like, it was, like, a Saturday um, afternoon kind of flick that would play, like, multiple times throughout the day. It's kind of interesting that it's, like, a PG horror film. Like, there aren't that many of those mm, that are right. just violent, you know? Right. And it's, like, I get the PG rating. Like, I mean, it mostly is violence, but at the same time, it's, like, for a PG movie, it's legitimately freaky. Yeah. I had only seen it once before. Yeah. I went to Britannia doing, like, a Shark Week thing. Sweet. So I was in my 20s. <laughs> and they played it on the big screen at, like, a midnight movie setting. And it was really Ooh. nice. Yeah. Yeah, so to only have seen it once before, and have only have, like, vague memories of it, really, and then to come back and watch it piecemeal like this has been kind of interesting. I do want to do, like, a sort of, like, day-by-day -day break of yes. it. Yes. The first day was June 28th, 
Um, we watched a five-minute segment where the teenage girl is killed by the shark while skin- skinny dipping. Which is, I think, like, one of the most iconic scenes of that movie. And this is one of those things where growing up watching it, I'm always like, oh, like, they're on a date. And they went and they were like, let's go skinny dipping as part of their date. And then the stupid shit happened. And then watching it as an adult, I'm like, they're so fucked up. Yeah. You know, they were at like a hippie bonfire. And I'm not were, even sure they know each other. I think they're just kind no, of flirting. They were and... just kind of in flirting and they're filling whatever they were smoking. So it's almost like part of me, like seeing that, you know, and looking at the attitude that, you know, attitude around drugs at that point, if that was meant to be like... If they weren't all that dope, she probably wouldn't be dead. Yeah, it kind of feels like a slasher thing where, like, you know, in, like, Jason movies, as soon as someone has, like, premarital sex or smokes weed, they're immediately killed. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It kind of felt like that. And, yeah, the movie opens with that death scene, and you get that score before the movie starts with that famous John Williams, like, da-na, da-na. So it automatically feels iconic. And, like, even before I had seen Jaws, like, all the way through, I, you know, knew this image of her naked in the water shot from below yeah on the cover she made the cover (laughs) it's interesting that she's like naked but it's not explicit like you can kind of see the silhouette of her body but it's not like lurid in any way no yeah and also um not that i'm one to judge but she wasn't very like freaked out by the shark attack i think yeah it was almost like a I think she yells, it hurts, at one point. Yeah. She's, like, being yanked around in the water, and she goes, it hurts. Right. Like, she's not fucking bloody screaming. She was was too calm for a shark attack, but it could be that she might have been, like, high, or I don't know, but it seems like that would make it worse. And the the guy doesn't get to, like, freak out on her behalf either, because he just passes out drunk. (laughs) So that was an interesting day, because it was only five minutes. Right. We watched this, like, little five-minute burst, this girl gets killed, and you're like, oh, that's it. That's it, right. It was like a... (laughs) Like a YouTube clip, but and you, not. And you don't get any shots of the shark. You just get the shark's point of view from under her. Right. And then you see her get yanked around side to side. <laughs> I know. It's like, and then part of me is like, should she have hung on to the buoy? She would have been fucked regardless. Yeah, no matter Poor what. Thing. Okay. Day two. Yes. This uh, was a little longer. This is about 14 minutes, which is the increment of most days. It was about 14, 15 minutes. Yeah. This one, a little kid is killed by the shark. Alex little Minter. Alex. <laughs> the mayor... And the sheriff are at odds automatically. Because right. the sheriff is freaked out that this teenage girl was killed by a shark the night before. And mayor just didn't give a fuck. Yeah, the mayor's like, this is a summer town. This is your first summer here. Amateur. We need summer Amateur. dollars. Amateur. One of my favorite bits from Howard Kramer, who is the comedian who came up with this idea of watching Jaws this way, is in his stand-up he says that the mayor of Amity is actually the hero of the movie. Because the sheriff wants to shut down the beaches and stop summer. And the, the mayor wants to keep Sama alive by keeping the beaches open. Which I think is a really funny concept to look at the movie that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, which I'll get to in other parts where I kind of like looked at this movie differently. But yeah, I, c- I could get that. Shit. So the new Summer sheriff, uh, Roy Scheider, is trying to get the beach shut down until they can figure out what's right. going on with the shark. The mayor's like, no. It's like, no, we need that summer, some money. So the sheriff goes down to the beach to watch the water to make sure that everything's okay. And somehow <laughs> still, while he's watching over the shoulder of people, like people are trying to chat him up and like kind of welcome him to the city. Right. He's looking over their shoulders and he's like split diopter shots. So everything's in like focus. And uh, <laughs> this kid gets eaten. 
like right in front of everybody, like a little child gets bloodied up. On his little raft. Yeah. So, actually, funny thing, I actually swam at that beach three times. The beach where it was filmed? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. So, I have, my aunt used to live in Martha's Vineyard, so I used, I've gone there like a couple of times, like to visit her in the summer. But yeah, the, the movie was filmed on the island, but it, a lot of the, you know, the fishing boat scenes um, were filmed in this town called Manimsha, which is a little town on the island of Martha's Vineyard that's basically just like a fishing village. Um, it's where you go to get your lobster rolls and your steamed seafood and things like that. So it was cool seeing that. And then like all the other parts, like the homes and things like that, are filmed in Edgartown, which is like this very fancy, like all the rich people live there. All the houses are white. Do they have like <laughs> plaques and stuff? Like commemorating Jaws yeah, being filmed there? they have like Jaws themed drinks what? and like food, like People are so, like, proud of, like, the Jaws thing. Or at first, I was like, oh, this is, like, a presidential, you know, vacation getaway. You think that's what they would market? No, it's like, <laughs> hey, Jaws was filmed here. It's funny, too, because, um, like, Amity is, like, a fake town, right? Right. But it's really, like, actually Edgar Town. The, um, actually, so whenever I went last summer, um, I was swimming. I can't think of the name of the beach, but there's a bridge that people jump off of. It's called Jaws Bridge. And you can jump off of it. Like, you know, this is like a funky little thing. <laughs> but they actually had some shark sightings. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so I got out of the water and the man's like, oh, don't go too far out. And I'm like, oh, oh Jesus. fuck. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, so that was, it's pretty cool um, getting that Jaws, real Jaws feeling. <laughs> so I, I don't think this segment is all that interesting as opposed to the first day where you see like the girl underwater at night. This right. has the same setup. Where you're watching all these legs underwater kicking. Oh, yes, but it's, like, way better. Because it's, like, this whole movie... I mean, when I think of Jaws, I think of the underwater swimming legs, Mm -hmm. slow-moving camera. Oh, my God. And it's, like, you know, you have all these, like, little wiggling legs. But instead of, like, a teenager being killed for smoking marijuana, you see this, like, child just get destroyed just for having a good time which is weird like whenever like he gets killed like it's just there's all his blood in the fucking water Mm -hmm. and all these kids are just like swimming in his little blood puddle (laughs) smiling so it's pretty morbid but also which is weird it's like a theme that i've noticed in this movie all the parents are way older oh yeah than you would think like alex's mom the kid that died i mean she looks like she would be his grandmother and the same thing with like the main character I mean, they're, like, older parents with these very, very young kids. Do you think it's a wealth thing? Sometimes, like, wealthy people have kids later in life. Right, and it's just a bunch of rich white people that live there. So, that live in islands like that, like Amity, even though it's, like, a a fake. One thing I did notice, just because we're watching it in small increments, so you pay attention to details. Yeah. So, the old man that comes up shirtless to Roy Scheider on the beach, (laughs) did you notice his body at all? There's something really weird going on with him. (laughs) No, what's going on? So, he leans over to talk to the sheriff. And he has these perfect <laughs> B-cup breasts. <laughs> it's really bizarre. I notice. <laughs> it's like these beautiful boobs. Um, <laughs> on this, like, old man. On this old man's body, yeah. Well, good for him. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Anything. He I probably has a good time. I think that's just, like, a symptom of watching something in, like, 15-minute increments is, like, you're paying attention to every minute because right. there's no time for your mind to wander. Shit, well, I didn't look at his body like I should have. <laughs> um, yeah, well, what I did notice is, like, how cool, like, um, well, Brody, Roy Schneider, like, his wife, like, I'm just like that, right when the, the scene starts, well, the, you know, 15 minutes that we watch, mm-hmm. she, you know, she wakes up in this bed, this fucking nice-ass house by the beach, 
got clear water outside the windows. She has, like, an ashtray on her end table and this, like, awesome little dog in the bed. I'm like, this lady is living the life. Yeah. Like, it's just, it just seems so cool. Like, all these people also just seem, like, super spoiled. <laughs> and it should be, like, a good time in their life. Like, they just moved to this new job right. in this, like, beautiful location. She should just be smoking cigarettes. Right. You know, rubbing her feet and her dog in the bed. But instead, two, like, minors get killed in a row. Right. And they have their own two sons who they have to think about right. as well. who are all up on the water. So, day three, because yeah. of these two deaths, the town decides to put a $3,000 bounty on the shark. Which is fucking nothing. Yeah, that's not that's a lot so of money. Sh- it's a slug. I don't know. But then a lot of people try to get the shark anyway. <laughs> it's interesting because... They're not taking it that seriously yet. That, Like you said, that's no. not a lot of money. And the sheriff wants to close the beach. Like, he wants to close the beach until the shark is caught. The mayor goes behind his back and is like, actually, we're only closing it for 24 hours. And you would think that'd be like a villainous thing to say, but people are still booing him at this town hall meeting. Like, 24 hours feels like forever. That's going to be like... I'm going to go the beach. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really funny to have this whole town... like, whatever, you assholes. Just go swimming. Get killed. I don't care. <laughs> If there's any, like, town in the world that feels that, like, Howard Kramer have a summer spirit, it's it's this town in Jaws. Like, they would rather <laughs> sacrifice children For than... For their summer. <laughs> yeah, than to lose their summer. We want the summer. Also, the big reveal in this uh, this segment, which is only four minutes long, it might be the shortest one, um, is that Quint is a character. He introduces himself by dragging his nails across a chalkboard in the back of the room. <laughs> and he's like, $3,000 is not enough. I'm going to need you to triple it. I want, I want 10 grand. <laughs> and basically he's like laughing at them if he thinks they're going to kill the shark without his help. We don't even really know who this guy is yet, except he's like an eccentric weirdo. Right, he's just sort of like the stereotypical, like fisherman man and all these like i don't know i just kept thinking of like you know south park cartoons and family guy cartoons and things like that yeah. where yeah like i could just see them mimicking quinn him being like i'm not gonna fresh i'm not gonna fresh yeah it's like an old timer like shows off scars and like war stories he's like right. that kind of character he's like oh you think that's sh- that shark's big i've seen sharks 10 times that size uh it's just it's so sad too where it's like looking at this as an adult fuck Leave that shark's home alone. Like, <laughs> the shark lives in the water. Yeah. You're going in it. But we're, and the whole movie is, like, based on hunting this fucking shark and killing it just because it's swimming in the ocean, <laughs> which is its home. Like, yeah. it's very weird. And actually, like, that is a big thing, like, shark hunting. Like, on the vineyard, until recently, they used to have, like, this huge celebration where all these, like, rich assholes in yachts would go out and just fucking kill sharks and hang them. And just, like, bloody sharks hanging. They'd be drinking beers. It was, like, this huge thing. And they they stopped doing it because it was just straight-up animal cruelty. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, it was super, super shitty. And I have heard, like, shark deaths went up after this movie. Like, this movie, like, contributed to, like, people being more aware and, like, afraid of sharks. Right. Uh, people were, like, legitimately scared of, like, going to the beach and stuff after watching this. Um, especially people who saw it young, because, like, everybody saw this movie. It was, like, a, you know, like I said earlier, like, before Star Wars, this was, like, the biggest, like, event film. And kind of turned, like, that Roger Corman B-picture monster movie into something that, like, everybody goes to. Cinematic excellence. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it, like, completely changed the industry. No, totally. The next day, day four, July 1st. Five minutes. So it was another short burst. This is the first time you would not be able to tell that it's a new day unless Mm -hmm. you knew the timeline. Right. And I believe the timeline is being pulled from the novel that the movie's based on. Oh, really? Yeah. Because really, there's nothing differentiating between the day when you have the bounty being put on the shark's head and this nighttime scene, which comes after. This is the sheriff's kid's birthday. Right. So he gets his kid a boat for his birthday. And the kids are out on the water playing on the boat while Roy Scheider is inside 
reading a book about sharks and kind of doing his research. Oh, right. All those, like, pictures, and then, like, the wife's just sort of like, oh, let him, let him play with the, the boat, whatever. Yeah. It's his birthday. And then she sees this picture of a boat getting eaten <laughs> by a shark, and she's like, get off the water! <laughs> she says something, too, that, like, I thought was so fucking funny, where she, like, looks at Will Brody, and she's like, hey, I want to get drunk and fool around? Yeah, I laughed so hard at that. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, really funny, come on. <laughs> so Mae West. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Um, I do like that they keep that Corman tradition of, right. like, equally spreading out attacks, because you have this, like, birthday celebration, and then for no reason, really, there's another shark attack on a dock, and you see these, like, right. two old men get kind of, like, <laughs> Almost, like, slide into its mouth. Yeah. So that was the day. July 1st is the day that I moved into my new apartment, so I was, like, fucking, I went through, like, three shirts, I was, like, sweating so much from moving, I was so exhausted, and I just put that on, I was like... Huh, it was kind of kind of nice. It was kind of like a nice. Yeah, it's a cool day. Non death scene. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a couple a good couple of minutes. So it was really peaceful. <laughs> so I enjoyed that. Yeah. So the next day is not as much of a cool down as what you were just talking about. Right. It's a 22 minute long stretch, which I think is the longest day on any of these. We get introduced to two pretty major things in this scene. Uh, one is Richard Dreyfus finally yes. appears. He is like this like nerdy city boy coming to this town with all these like academic equipment to like take a look at this giant shark that's been killing people. Also, we get our first glimpse of a shark. Uh, the townspeople catch a tiger shark and it's not the right one. Poor thing. Uh, no, that was like so shitty and they're all like fucking around with its mouth, gutting it and stuff and it's the wrong shark. It's kind of like what you were just talking about. Right. Like kind of punishing these sharks where they're just like in their natural habitat. Right, like they're going out into the water, into deep ass water to find a shark to fucking kill it for no reason. And it was it kind of looked like a little baby. I knew it had a baby face. <laughs> if a shark could have a baby face, this little tar- tiger shark had one. So I like Richard Dreyfuss's introduction really is that he does an autopsy on the girl, like the first victim. Oh yeah. Uh, and he's just like, having a really hard time with it. Like, he's, like, really grossed out. <laughs> Drinking water, playing with her hand. Not playing with her hand, but, you know. I mean, it's pretty disgusting. But he's trying to keep it professional. Yeah. Because he's, like, he's sort of, like, this, like, young professional guy out of everybody in this movie. So it's, like, cool to kind of see how he's trying to keep that intact yeah. <laughs> while he's dealing with the fucking craziest situation. Yeah, the mayor does not like him because he thinks he's trying to na- make a name for himself by right. making the shark seem bigger and, like, a bigger deal than it actually right. is. Right, but he's like, no, this is not the shark. The shark's fucking huge. And that's what he gets freaked out by during the autopsy. It's not just that it's, like, a gross dead body, but also, like, he starts to realize how big the shark must be and that it's, like, a great white and not, like, right. a little tiger shark like the one they caught. Right. And that's a really interesting dynamic that he just, like, gets more and more freaked out during that, like, autopsy. And it's also, um, when he guts the shark... The mm-hmm. tiger shark. There's a Louisiana license plate inside. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, the shark's been, like... In the gulf. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh. And then I kept thinking, like, oh, this poor little guy. He's like, swung <laughs> such a far away. Uh, I don't know much about sharks and, like, you know, their digestive system. But it was kind of neat seeing, like, that weird milky substance coming out. And then, like, just all these, like, whole fish pretty Oh, uh, yeah. It's gross. But kind of And fun. all the garbage where it's yeah. like, we suck. Yeah, we littered this guy's, like... We littered, home waters and, and then, then gutted them yeah, for <laughs> to doing To get nothing. our trash out. <laughs> the reason this sequence is so long is because later that day, uh, Richard Dreyfus goes drunk scuba diving. He has like <laughs> some uh, drinks with the sheriff and he's like, I'm going to prove the shark is big. And they go underwater and find this wreckage where a human head pops out of a ship. Oh yeah, I jumped so far. Was that the head of one of the old men that were attacked? Like, the day before, I couldn't really tell where that was coming from. I don't think... Well, they both survived. Oh, okay, that's right. So, I think it was just another old chubby fishing guy. But, yeah, that was, like, 
probably the only part of the movie that, like, I jumped so far back. Because it was so unexpected. I, I don't yeah. know. I didn't expect, like, a head to fall out of that little No, me neither. It's really interesting how well the movie, like, paces out, like, one right. scare a day. You know, like, it's kind of a funny way to, like, piece everything out. This part in the movie, I think, was just the saddest. Because it's just, like, everyone's so greedy. They're like, oh, why $3,000? And they're on these boats. They're overloading boats with people, which is, like, so unsafe. And they're bringing their fucking dogs. And I'm like, why would you ever... Bring your little dog, your little pup, to go kill a fucking giant shark. I don't know. It just made me really nervous and pissed off. (laughs) Yeah, they're less, like, happy that the shark was caught and, like, no more kids will get eaten. And more just, like, pissed off that they've missed out on three grand. Three grand and, like, those bragging rights, too. Just like, I killed the big shark. And then you see Quint um, sailing by and sort of laughing at them because they think that (laughs) it's over, but it's really not. So now we're on day six. Yes. This is a little three-minute segment. This is where the mayor... Is just still refusing to close the beaches. He's like, we caught the tiger shark that was doing all this stuff. He doesn't believe that it's innocent. He thinks that they've solved the problem. And Richard Dreyfus is basically like, you are insane. This shark is so much bigger than the one that we caught yesterday. Which was a pretty big shark. And the mayor's like, look, tomorrow's 4th of July. We're not closing this beach. We're going to have a summer. Um, 4th of July. And I will not have talked out of it. When he says tomorrow's the 4th of July, that was the first time I got excited about the project. Like, before I was like... <laughs> you're like, oh, tomorrow's the 4th of July! I was like, oh yeah, I'm kind of like working parallel with them. Yeah, no, because it's like such like a, I don't know, like everything else. Like, oh, it's just another, you know, Monday, it's just another Wednesday. But it's like, oh fuck, it's the 4th of July and I'm going to be doing it just like the Jaws people. Like, it's like interesting, like, the day before... When you, like, do that transition from the bounty putting being put on the shark's head at, like, the town yeah. hall meeting to the kid's birthday, it's not mm-hmm. that different. Like, it just feels, like, arbitrary to break those scenes in half. But when you get to a day like this where, like, oh, yeah, tomorrow's the 4th, I was, like, you know, in my own mind, like, oh, I have, I have off work tomorrow. Tomorrow's a holiday. I'm excited, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going swimming or whatever. And I, I did go watch. swimming. Oh, good. Yeah. Did you go in open waters? No, I went to a pool. Okay, that's safe. <laughs> but yeah, this is like a really short conversation. Basically, Richard Dreyfus is like, the shark is much bigger than you think. It's attracted to people swimming. So if you don't like, shut down the beach yeah. for the fourth, like it's going to be there. Right, like all that movement and stuff. Yeah. Oh, gee. And it just seems like, I don't know, like, I guess this is before like people were so lawsuit crazy because it seems like you're better off avoiding like that versus messing up a day in the summer. I do like the description Dreyfus gives of the shark. He's like, it's a perfect engine, an eating machine. All it does is eat and swim and make little sharks. <laughs> Just like an interesting like <laughs> way to make it sound scary. He's very, very funny. Yeah. And the next day was the big day. The 4th, 4th of, July. of July. I watched this over my breakfast on the 4th oh. of July. got me excited about the day. I watched it. Oh, great. I watched <laughs> it like at night while fireworks were happening. Oh, that's nice too. Which is nice, yeah. Celebrating America. Everyone goes to the beach. And everyone's afraid of water. They know about the shark attacks. They don't want to be the first to go in and risk being bitten by the shark. And uh-huh. the mayor has to talk them into having a summer. Yeah, they're like, go get in the water, get in the water. Yeah. And then everybody starts, once one, like, you know, couple goes in, because the mayor is basically telling them to. Yeah. Everybody kind of starts going in. But there's a scene, I don't know if it's like, I can't remember if it was before or after, like, the big shark attack. But, like, Brody and uh, Matt are both, like, on these, like, Mm walkie-talkies. And it almost seems like when people are on their Bluetooths and they're, like, you know, like, business guys are like, what? No! No! And it's, like, they're going back and forth. And I'm like, oh, God, if they had some BTs, (laughs) they'd be in heaven right now. Yeah. It was super, super funny. And then you have, like, the helicopters flying above, like, keeping an eye on the water from the sky. So, yeah, there's, like, kind of, like, a militaristic 
aspect to it where like they are keeping an eye on the shark but right. really there's nothing they can do there's like what are you gonna do even if it hundreds of people in the water like right. you're not gonna know until someone gets bit um so stupid i do like that it also opens with a killer shark video game is like the first image in the scene oh it's like a it's like an arcade game it almost seems like 3d it's like multiple like a, screens like a hologram yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very crazy this is it. the first scene i think really feels like a big budget roger corman movie when the shark is approaching in the water, or, like, when uh, these little kids come up with a fake fin and, like, scare everyone into thinking that there's a shark right. and, like, basically pulling a prank, the scene is shot from just under the water, and the way that it shows all these victims and, like, this, like, stalker POV where, like, the shark's approaching people that yeah. might eat, it's, it feels like a creature feature, like, from a Roger Corman movie, in a way that, like, genuinely draws tension. Like, this is probably the scariest scene in the movie. Because the tension's just very high. Yeah, the tension's still high. And basically the way it happens is, yeah, kids show up with this, like, fake shark spin and scare everyone out of the water. Put a bunch of dicks. Bunch of assholes. Yeah. And then it turns out that the shark is in the pond instead of in the actual beach area. And it upends a boat and almost kills the sheriff's kid. Right. And that's when the mayor finally takes this all seriously. He's like, oh, we're, we're going to need to get this shark. <laughs> Let's pause the summer. The mayor looks genuinely shook in that scene. Like, he looks terrified. It's so funny because he's such, like... A mare. Like, he has, like, a blazer that's got all these, um, like, little anchors printed on it. Like, it's just, like, I don't know, something that, like, an asshole would wear, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> they, they did him really well when trying to, like, make him look like the jerk in this movie. Yeah, I, I like how he's, like, really complicit, because everyone's safe and out of the water until he, like, goes around and is like, hey, are you gonna go swim? Are you gonna go get wet? Like, I'm, I want you to get eaten by the shark. So basically, after this point, because the mayor's kids were on the beach and the sheriff's kids were on the beach, and, like, it happened in plain sight and everybody saw the shark, some of canceled like summer yeah. is over Aww. this is the last day of summer uh, yeah. a month early which is kind of sad but yeah like i said the most significant part of this scene for me was just recognizing that this is just an expensive roger corman movie and i really like how corman handles stuff like this these big budget movies like jaws and star wars kind of put him out of business because he can't compete with these big hollywood blockbuster type movies because now people look at his and they're like, oh, it's super silly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the way he handled it was he made, like, sillier versions of them. So, like, this movie was obviously inspired by his creature features. But him and Joe Dante made Piranha after it, which is basically oh. like a straightforward spoof of Jaws. Right. He did the same thing later when Joe Dante went and made Gremlins. He made, like, a fake version of Gremlins called Munchies. And um, Jurassic Park, which is very much like a Corman creature feature on like a huge budget in another Spielberg movie, he made a movie called Carnosaur at the exact same time that had like Laura Dern's mom in it. Oh. Was that Diane Ladd? I can't remember who that is. but um, I think so. Yeah. So she's in a, like a competing movie with her, her daughter's movie. So he does this thing where he like cannibalizes his own work once it's like kind of not ripped off, but like taken out of his hands. Huh. And he never elevates himself to the heights of that stuff because he can't afford it. So instead he just it keeps doing his style. own thing and right. like, does these like kind of mockbuster knockoffs of it, which I think is really amusing. And honestly, like I love Corman to death. Like I would rather watch most Corman movies than Jaws. Would um, you have preferred if Corman made Jaws versus well, well, technically like Piranha is that version yeah. of it. And I do in, like personally enjoy the Piranha series more than Jaws itself, which there you go. might be a terrible stance to take. No, but... just say the truth. Yeah. <laughs> just be truthful. So, day eight, mm -hmm. the day after the 4th of July, Summa is canceled. Ah. Run another 14-minute sequence. Brody, the sheriff, and Hooper, who is Richard Dreyfuss's egghead, they join forces with Quint to go on search of the shark. The movie starts in Quint's little lodge 
where his hands are bathed in like fish blood. Menemsha, that's where, yeah. And there's all this like <laughs> uh, bleached jaws from sharks he's already killed all right. over like a trophy shelf. And basically, they're getting ready to go, and Quint is just like not impressed by Richard Dreyfus's character at all. No, because he's like Quint is a, like a man of nature where mm-hmm. he spent his whole life on the water dedicate his life to it probably came from like a long line of people doing the same thing over and over again and then you have this like you know college kid coming in trying to tell you what to do yeah he was fucking pissed yeah totally and he like grabs him by the hands and like feels his soft city boy hands uh (laughs) and like i said his hands are covered in blood uh Mm -hmm. so it's like really gross um and he's trying to gross (laughs) them out like he gives them moonshine yeah just trying to freak them both out and i guess he's trying to scare them off because he wants to like Make the $10,000. Right. And keep all the proceeds to himself and all the glory to himself. Right. And not be bothered with these two, like, city boys who don't know the sea. He's just, he's very, like, macho. And it gets to the point where, I mean, his being so stubborn becomes almost obnoxious. But there's this part where um, Brody is throwing, like, dead fish. He's, like, chumming the water. Right, chumming that water. And he puts, like, Old Spice on, like, a towel and, like, whips it. And it's so funny because, like, I mean, my dad's, like, a trawler. And he has all that fucking Old Spice oh, on his no. boat like really? crazy. Yeah. Is I that from Jaws or is that... I don't know. I don't know if it's just, like, when people go out in the water, if that's what they, they do. Yeah. Or my dad just likes Old Spice. <laughs> do you know what your dad's uh, opinions on Jaws are? Do you think it's a movie he would have seen? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's seen it. If, it, if it's a movie that's played on TV... He's watched it. Right. Because um, I don't even think he knows how to work a DVD player. <laughs> he's just like, yeah, Jaws is on. I don't know. He's probably seen it. He probably like. He does like it. I mean, any movie that involves, like, being on the water, I think he likes it a lot because his jam is, like, boat knowledge. So it's like, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Look what they're doing. I get that. I do that sometimes. <laughs> so, yeah, like that. Yeah, and they're going fishing on this, like, tiny little, little like, fishing boat. It's, right. Like, it's a commercial fishing boat, but it's, but like, Orca. it's pretty small. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really funny. One of the Jaws knockoffs, like, they did one with, like, a bear, and we watched Alligator for the website. We did, yes. like, Movie the Minute. A Movie the Month on that one. So there's all these different kinds of Jaws knockoffs, but there is one called Orca that is, like, a whale. Oh, the Killer Whale movie. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And that's a direct Jaws knockoff, and it's uh, funny that the commercial shipping boat in this is also called the Orca. Because a lot of people, like... Um, we'll name their, like, boats the Orca because of Jaws. Like, yeah. a lot of boat names are the Orca. Well, one of my favorite details from this uh, scene is when they first leave on the shipping boat. It's framed from inside of Quint's, like, shack. And you see their boat leaving inside of the frame of uh, Jaws. Like, shark Jaws hanging from the window. Uh, <laughs> so it's like the boat's, like, inside of the shark already, which Gosh. I thought was kind of interesting. Which is where they'll be soon. And this is, like, the first time in the movie where the days are like completely blended together like once they leave they're on like a boat it's like hard to really pick they're looking for the shark they kind of stop sleeping and they drink like constantly (laughs) so everything sort of gets blurred and it's kind of like earlier with the birthday scene like the arbitrary like stops and starts it's hard to even know where to decide where one day ends and another begins eddie used two sources for this one was a movie timeline website called like the movie timeline.com <laughs> and they had one for jaws where they separated by date so i knew the different events that were supposed to happen on each day yeah and then i just kind of went through fast forwarding real quick trying to like time stamp it um but it's not like this was time stamped before we started like we kind of had to like right. wing it because this is the first year i know like there was um at that point i was like shoot like because i was trying to like measure the minutes up with the list you had sent me so I think this part, this is like one part that I really liked. And I think it was in this section 
or before the next day, before the 6th, yeah. where Quint is, like, getting strapped in. I don't know. Like, I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah, it's like a big game uh, fishing pole. insane. Where it's like he's strapped in, he has his, like, feet on this, like, little thing, and he's all shit. It was just very bizarre, but I'm like, oh, like, I don't know people who go, like, fishing for, like, tunas and big things like that, but I'm sure they have that. It's kind of like, almost like an astronaut thing. Like, you know, like, when astronauts get strapped into the seat. Yeah. It was, I don't know, I thought it was super funny. So, like, the next day, July 6th, uh, 16 minutes, day 9, the movie timeline marker for that day was The Search for the Shark Continues, which is not very descriptive. And that's kind of how this sequence starts going, <laughs> is, like, we're, lo- we're out on the waters, we're looking for the shark. Right. We still really haven't seen the shark. Like, we haven't seen an up-close... Like a facial... Yeah, of the puppet or anything. Until now. Yeah, this is the day when we finally get a shot of Jaws. Thank <laughs> uh, God. There's two split diopter shots where you're looking over the water at over Brody's shoulder. And you get these like close-ups of Brody where the the camera's also focused on the water behind him. And the first shot, you're like, why is it framed like that? Like there's nothing going on back there. And it's because the second just, time they do that. <laughs> it's because the second time they do that, the shark finally surfaces. Right. And that's when Brody has his line was like, we're gonna need a bigger boat. Right. And it's like literally the shark is the size of the boat. It's a huge, it's huge so, shark. So, so, so big and so wide. It's, like, really surprising how big it is every time it comes up. Like, it, was, it wasn't really even really scaring me. I was, like, laughing. But not because it was funny. It was just, like, that shark is so fucking big. Like, they have, built, like, the biggest mechanical puppet for this. Have you ever been on the Jaws ride? I have, but not since I was a kid. Yeah, well, I went when, I only went to Orlando um, or Universal Studios once. Mm-hmm. And I just remember that being freaking insane. Yeah, I, I should have looked up if it was the same puppet from the movie. Because it kind of feels oh. like it was. It kind of, yeah, because it, pr- it was about the size of yeah. that. I mean, it was so massive. <laughs> and that one, they take it a little is. guided tour and then the shark puppet comes out of the water a couple times and you see it take down a boat. That's mm-hmm. all I really remember from it, but it's been a while. Yeah, and there's like a little guy with like, it's like raining or something. Mm-hmm. Or there's like a lot of water splashing going on. I do like that uh, when the <laughs> sheriff says the famous, like, we're going to need a bigger boat line, it's not like it's a pronounced line. Like, he's kind of terrified and he just kind of mutters it under right. his breath a couple times. <sighs> we're going to need a bigger boat. Uh, <laughs> they do manage to harpoon the shark. They attach a glowing barrel to it so they can better track it as the barrel like goes around the water. Right. But I gotta say, I was kind of annoyed by the score. Really? John Williams, famous for like Star Johnny Wars Boy. and like Indiana Jones right. and stuff like that. He's got this kind of like swashbuckling kids adventure story feeling to it. <laughs> and when they're on the boat, like chasing the shark down to harpoon it and attach the barrel to it, it's like this like triumphant like almost like in jurassic park was like Like, it's like this really like proud ridiculously cheesy to me but they haven't done anything yet yeah i don't know (laughs) if it's supposed to be a little ironic like it's supposed to feel like they're succeeding and there's like later things that are gonna happen that make it seem like that was all just like kind of a waste but i just was finding myself annoyed by the score i was kind of wishing that it was more like horror film stuff like the the main theme Mm -hmm. that like Dun. That would have been more appropriate. It's so good. Yeah. And then this stuff just feels like completely separate. Right. The The main theme isn't as prominent in the movie as I think it should be, mm-hmm. where it just kind of, I mean, I think it plays like once or twice or, yeah. you know, not as much as it probably should. Have you seen any of the three sequels? No. Me neither. I wonder if the score reappears in there. So. Probably so. Yeah. I, have a, I have a feeling. That just might be me. Like, honestly, I've never been a big Indiana Jones person. I don't like that swashbuckling kind of 
like kids adventure movie stuff just doesn't do anything for me. Gotcha. That might just be personal prejudice. Maybe I, that's what it sounded like. Yeah. <laughs> I had a similar thing recently. I watched um, Silence of the Lambs. Ooh. Uh, and it's it's still a great film. But the score is often tension-cutting in, in the same way. Like, it plays like a uh, Oscar-winning drama and not like a sleazy horror film. And it ended up being an Oscar-winning movie, I think, kind of because of that thing. And I think this movie's playing the same game. Like, it makes it more palatable as, like, a PG spectacle movie for the whole family to have this, like, swashbuckling kind of moments I just found it really distracting. <laughs> it's gotta just be me. I'm sure most people aren't bothered by it. No, it's, it's like almost like a fake out where you're like, they got it. Like, yeah. It's like a whoosh, but no. I, I guess I would have rather been like a horror suspense kind of right. moment. Because it is. Yeah. Or it should be anyway. Okay, so this was the hardest transition to cut because they get drunk that night and do not go to sleep. Right, so and it's it, like, when does the next day start? Yeah, the sun rises, but we still kind of keep going. They're drinking past midnight and drumming on the table, and the shark starts ramming the ship. This is right after Quint tells a very long, drunken story about how in World War II he was on a submarine that was transmitting a... SS Indianapolis, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, they're yeah. transmitting one of the nuclear bombs, Jeez. and they got torpedoed down, and... He was stuck in the water because it was like a secret mission. Somebody came to come pick them up. And he watched all of his fellow soldiers get eaten by sharks. So it's like kind of his like fate to come out here in this like Moby Dick kind of way and hunt down this great huge shark. And that drunken night bleeds over into the next morning. Early in the morning, the shark starts ramming the ship. Did you watch it according to the timeline? I kind of watched that all as like part of day six. I watched it like according to like per day. Okay. Because like the sun didn't really come up. Until after the shark had already damaged the ship, even though it was technically the morning of the next day. Right. It's just kind of like this, like, drunken haze where I can't even really tell where to cut right. it off. I felt drunk. Like, <laughs> then. Like, I'm just like, eh, okay, whatever. I'm just going to go by the times. <laughs> so, the next morning, July 7th, day 10, they are visibly exhausted and kind right. of losing track of reality. Don't know what to do with themselves. It's almost like whenever people, you know, there's like a boat crash and people start going fucking nuts. Yeah. On their little raft. It's like they're going a little crazy on this boat. And it kind of works to like have them in that state because the shark starts getting like intelligent in this weird way in the mm-hmm. scene. Like he starts strategically like destroying the boat from under them and like attacking them not to eat food, but like out of like vengeance almost. Yeah. Um, so it's funny for them to be like loopy because it. This is, like, where it starts breaking from anything resembling reality, you know? <laughs> True, because it's like you're in, in the middle of the ocean with this, you know, mutant shark. That specifically wants you dead. That, that's looking for you. Early on in this scene, after the sun rises, we get the best look at the shark. We, we get this one jump scare where it comes out of the water and you see its full body and it's just, like, ridiculously huge. Mm-hmm. And then later you get Richard Dreyfus going underwater in a cage. Uh, and the shark starts ramming him in the cage. That's... Oh, that whole scene. <laughs> I just wanted to puke when it started, like, you know, I mean, after the point where he gets out the cage, and it just starts fucking throwing that like a chew toy. Yeah. It's nuts. It's a really good mix of, like, the puppet and nature footage of, like, real sharks swimming. Yeah. They do a really good job of editing those two together. It doesn't look like it'd be fake. Right. You know, for a film that was made, like, in the 70s, like that, it's pretty realistic looking. I think that's why Corman can't keep up with this kind of stuff. It's not like he could. Everything he does is, looks fake. Well, I assume that puppet itself costs like a million dollars. Oh, like, hundred. Oh, yeah. probably way more than that. That puppet alone is like the whole budget of a Roger Corman film. Good point. Also, in this scene, we get Quint smashing the radio equipment so they can't call for help anymore. I guess he's still drunk and not about his wits, and decides that like, no, we're gonna settle this 
while we're out here in the water, we're gonna get our money. Manta beast. And we're gonna kill this beast. Very frustrating. <laughs> right. Like, when he did that, I was like, oh, you idiot. You idiot. <laughs> we also get them shooting harpoons and, like, pistols at the shark and it not really doing anything. I know. They're just like, I mean, this whole thing is just, like, all fucking torn up. Bullets everywhere. The boat's, uh, like, exploding from under them. Like, right. The engine's getting sinking. out. Sinking. Mm-hmm. This is, like, really exciting stuff. <laughs> like I, was, I was really into it right this is like where that shark action that you want the whole time really starts like it's it's yeah. shark action totally at this point that's all it is um howard kramer makes fun of them for leaving the beach and not having a summer anymore he's like oh they had to ruin it and go fishing or whatever and you, you do feel like a huge difference from like the early party scenes for like fourth of july and stuff yeah uh, and the excitement and then this which is like a desperate like knockout fight with this killing machine like richard dreyfus described it earlier that is just like designed to destroy them and that is the second to last day yeah the final day is <laughs> them looking exhausted and just like beyond belief that the shark has like attacked them it's like they're just waiting to die at this point where yeah. they're like let's just whatever let the boat sink the shark is drawing let's them die. further <laughs> out to sea and away from the shore right i'm feeling how exhausted they are like i'm getting delirious I'm losing track of days. They've been on the water for three or four days. Right. This has been day 11 of Jaws, so I'm also like... Which is interesting, like, us watching it where it's, you know, the days are sort of spread out, where we're just like, wait, we're still on this fucking boat? Wait, we're still out on the ocean? Like, why don't we just go home? This is getting annoying, but it's like, oh, like, you kind of feel their frustration. Yeah. I think this part was really, like, this whole um, little scene or day or whatever was really kind of spooky because... There's something about just them being out, far out, open water, sinking boat. It's just, there's a lot of silence. A lot of silence and stillness. And it's so terrifying because it's, that hopelessness is really present. Where you're like, okay, they're so fucked and they know it. Yeah. That to me was very like, I don't know, got my nerves. And their brutality towards the shark stops being like harpoons and pistols in this scene. Mm -hmm. They literally just start stabbing it in the face with like... That like machete thing. Yeah. Or I don't even know what it's called. Some kind of sharp, knifey looking weapon. It's really (laughs) funny to think of like human men going against a shark in like a knife fight. And Quint eventually is eaten alive. So brutally. Yeah. All the freaking blood starts gushing out of his mouth. That is the most brutal kill in the movie. It's like him hanging halfway out the shark's mouth um, and just bleeding out of his own mouth. Ugh, I know, like, I'll almost, like, think there's a part where just when the, sh- the shark starts nibbling at his legs where you're like, oh, he's gonna make it. <laughs> and then yeah. he just full on goes in yeah. and the shark just, like, gets him in the gut. And then eventually oh, yeah. Roy Scheider blows the shark up by exploding yeah. an oxygen tank inside of his so mouth. So smart. Should have done it in the first place. That was pretty nasty. Like, all that shark meat. Oh, yeah. It was very like, gross. all over the place. And then <laughs> once the shark's dead, they're like kind of swim back to shore they get closer to the to barrels the and they're like doo, 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 doo. uh and then they're trying to decide what day of the week it is at the end they're like is it tuesday is <laughs> like it wednesday we were. <laughs> yeah so they felt like they had been out on the water for a week because they're yeah. all delirious from not sleeping and like drinking too much and i just thought that was a kind of a funny cap at the end of the movie <sighs> would you ever totally. do this again uh maybe in like a year <laughs> like i don't <laughs> well well which would make sense because i would have to wait another year I mean, it, it was interesting, like, I don't know, now I'm interested to see if there's other movies that I could do this with. Yeah. Because, like you were saying, like, you really pay attention to, like, weird shit. Like, all kinds of stupid detail that you wouldn't normally. And you kind of gain a different perspective because you're you're doing what those characters were doing. Yeah, not that you're doing it, but you're, like, looking at that day like the characters in the film are looking at that day. 
yeah, I think it might be more worthwhile if you've seen Jaws like a thousand times and you already know so much of it. Right. This movie, by parsing it out, might help you look at individual details. You can see those old man's boobs, you know. Which uh, I'm looking forward to. What day is that again? I think that's day two. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll be looking for those beacons. That's when Roy Scheider's like watching the water over the old man's shoulders. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I think for me, like not knowing the movie that well, I would not do this again. Like, yeah. I think the real way to commemorate this movie is just watch it on the 4th of July. Like, that <laughs> that is the right. day that Jaws should be watched if you're going to watch it in, like, a ritualistic way. In the summer, 4th of July. Yeah. Because it is a 4th of July. Like, even though it's, like, one day of the film, the film's, like, really centered around this, like, holiday. No, totally. But I if you feel it. if you are going to watch it, I think 2020 is the year where, like, the days of the week match up with the days of the calendar. Well, that'd be so- fun if we're still doing this in 2020. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know if I ever want to do it again, though. Jaws Real Time 20... Revisit it in 2020. Yeah. We'll see what you think. We'll reassess. Reassess. Um, No, I mean, it was fun. It's not like something where I'd be like, holy shit, you're gonna die if you don't watch this movie like this. It's fun. It's a good time. Like like you were saying, like, if you watch Jaws a buttload of times and you want to find another way to fucking appreciate it, totally do this. And it's like an absurdist kind of exercise to watch a movie over 11 days. Right. It came from a stand-up comedian doing a regular bit on Jaws. It's a silly exercise, like, by nature. Right. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like you're saying, if there, if there are any other movies that can be. be mapped out that way. We need to dig through the movie timeline.com. Uh, <laughs> oh. Like I said, I think they dug up these dates based on the novel, not really based on the... Uh... I keep forgetting. Yeah, the novel was a pretty big deal, too. Yeah. Well, next time you and I are talking, we're going to be doing some Disney movies. Super which might get us away from this, like, bloody Jaws uh, summertime fish, horror. You know? Yeah. Maybe we'll get away from the shore. <laughs> uh, but that's still, like, summertime fair. Uh, we're gonna oh, yeah. Some Disney, Disney amusement World. Park that's where, like, families stuff. go on their vacations. Yeah. So we're going to try to keep the summer alive. It's not all Jaws, you know? Right. We're just living for the summer. <laughs> and uh, I hope you out there have a summer. All right. Have a good summer. Go, uh, go swimming. Go have some ice cream. Have a shock summer. Yeah. Bye. 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 <laughs>